we're going to continue in our series on discipleship, and we're, pro- we're talking about discipling our children. And I wanted to start with uh, two passages. I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and then we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3 as well. So we'll start with Ephesians chapter 6. The trick, the trick of these two passages, the problem with these two passages, well, there's no problem with the passage themselves, but we're so familiar with them that we tend not to hear them. I don't know if you ever experienced that, that you get, when you get super familiar with something, you just don't notice. Like, um, the first sunny day, we love the sunshine and we see Mount Rainier. The tenth sunny day was as if the mountain was never there. We don't even realize that's there because we're so familiar with it. And that's true of these texts that we're going to read today, but they are super rich as it, go, as it relates to discipling our children. And uh, once again, remember that, remember years ago, um, I think it was the first time she was trying to be president, Hillary Clinton, he said, she said it would take a village to raise a child, um, you know, in, 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 and what she meant is that take the government to raise a child, and we don't agree with that, but it does help to have a good church in raising a child. So when we talk about discipleship of children, I'm going to emphasize the parent but the whole church should be involved in that. And that's the first part of our lesson today is the fact that the children are part of the church. Therefore, our membership vows include them in ministering to them. So Ephesians 6, starting at verses one, uh, verse 1 and reading through verse 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then if you keep a finger there and turn to Colossians chapter 3, Reading verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So you notice the Ephesians and Colossians are are parallel epistles. They can be harmonized together. They're actually written to the same region. Uh, Colossi and Ephesus were in the same region called the Lycus Valley in what's today modern uh, Turkey. And they were likely written uh, weeks, if not days, from each other. One to a church that uh, Paul was uh, thoroughly familiar with in the church of Ephesus, and one to a church that he'd never been, but it was a daughter church from the church in Ephesus, and that's Colossi. And uh, the two epistles parallel each other uh, as they're written, different emphasis. Uh, Colossians emphasized the deity of Christ as the head of the church, and then um, Ephesians emphasized the church as the body of Christ, just addressing the same subject but with different emphasis. One thing we have to remember as we think about discipleship, and, and specifically as we think about discipling our children, when God redeemed each one of us, he made us new creatures. So when he changed our hearts, when he applied the work of Christ to us by his Holy Spirit, 
we became new creatures. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 17 that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new cre creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things about us have become new. And as new creatures who were recreated in the image of Jesus Christ, we now sit in heavenly places with him. Paul says as much in Ephesians 2, verse 6, and in other passages in the book of Ephesians. That being the case, we are now able, by God's grace, to live here in this world heavenly lives. We all have heard the saying that, oh, he's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. That is, um, it's a false saying, it's a, it's a falsehood. We are only of any earthly good if we are who we are in Christ, heavenly minded. We sit in heavenly places. And now we bring that life to this plane, to this, to this time. And that includes our family life. Because of Christ, the wife submits to the husband, and the husband loves the wife. Because of Christ, the child obeys the parents, and the parents do, do not uh, raise them in the nurture of the nature of the Lord by not discouraging them. That's really what's gospel-centered living, living in light of the reality of what Christ has done for us. And if, if you are in Christ, then you are that new creature that by his grace can follow what he says. I wanted to put Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 together and, uh, and run by the things that we see in them without really explaining so much or commenting and then move on to talk about how we're going to train our children. So the, the, the focus of this lesson is to the how-tos, really, of biblical child-rearing, of discipling our children, because those two things are the same thing. We've looked at the, the covenantal basis on which we need to build our, raising our children. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the, the how-to. The next, the next subject is going to be children in the church, in the corporate service of the church. And then we're going to finish with uh, Christian philosophy of education and then be done with this phase of our discipleship uh, series. So some things as we put Ephesians 6, Colossians 3 together, we see that there are several things that mark the parent-child relationship. One is that the glory of God is the goal of parenting and being parented. Both passages in, in, includes it pleases the Lord or in the Lord. So that's the goal of parenting, the glory of God both of being parented, so from the children's perspective, and, of, and parenting from a parent's perspective, the glory of God is the ultimate goal. We'll also see in the two passages that gospel obedience has no other limitation than the word of God. So uh, we as parents obey the Lord and, uh, and the children obey the Lord by fulfilling what God has told us to do as parents and as children. And the limitation of that is what the, God, what the Bible says. It says, obeying in all things. So every area of parenting, every area of being parented is only limited by what the Bible says. That's, the, that's where we're going for. That's the, the, the ceiling that we're trying to attain is what the Bible says. Three, parenting methods and styles can easily become a source of discouragement to children. Uh, Paul talks in both passages about discouraging the children and that has to do with how we parent them. Fourthly, Fathers may naturally tend to exasperate their children. And we see that both passages address the father primarily um, when it says don't exasperate your children. So the implication that we can draw from that is that fathers are 
more naturally inclined to doing that. Fifthly, the basis for obedience, both the parents and for the kids, is the moral law. If you notice in Ephesians, both in Ephesians and Colossians, he, uh, Paul quotes the fifth commandment in addressing the children. It's interesting that Paul is not afraid to tell, of telling people that they must obey the law. He's not afraid of saying, you must do this. If you're a Christian, you must do this. There's more than just be thinking about your justification. There's more than just being thinking about Christ. You actually have to do what Christ tells you to do. Next, fathers must play an active and central role in the, in the upbring, up, upbringing of their children, the sound of their children. Fathers, raise your children in the nurture and the mission of the Lord. The responsibility is primarily on the father's shoulder. And lastly, as with all obedience, there are benefits in obeying God in this area. Uh, we see this clearly in when Paul talks to the children, where it says this is a commandment with a promise. You, you, the, the God is going to bless you as you do this, and so on. So these uh, seven points together are just a harmony, quick harmony of what the, what the two passages say concerning parenting and being parented. Any questions on that so far? All right. As we, as we talk about the how-tos of parenting, it's very important that we understand that our children are part of the visible church. They are members of the church. Notice that in both books, Ephesians and Colossians, Paul addresses the children as part of the church. How do we know whom an author of the Bible, of a letter from the Bible is, is talking to? How do we know who the original audience of a letter in the New Testament is? Yeah, you read it, right? Just go to the first few verses, and usually the author, there's a couple. Now, 1 John doesn't tell us that. Hebrews doesn't tell us that. But most of the other ones, it tells us the, who the original um, audience is. In Ephesians, verse 2 says he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. And then he starts addressing the different groups of saints, set-apart people in Ephesus. And he talks to the husband, talks to the wife, and then he talks to the children as being members, part of that church in Ephesus. So we need to always remember that a baptized child of a member of the church is also a member of the church. Okay, So, for example, here we have Julius, Malachi, and um, Red. I think these are the only little kids I can see at the moment. They, all three are baptized. They are members of this church. They may not have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ, or they may not be able to profess that faith yet, but they're members of the church, and we have to keep that in mind. It is true that there's, there's a status change in their membership when the children make a public profession of faith, but the change is from covenant member to communicant members. is not from non-member to member, and that's important that we keep in mind. It is because the baptized children of believers are members of the body of Christ that Paul calls them to obedience. It's based on that status that Paul addresses them and calls them to obedience. The implication of this truth to parenting is that we treat and raise our children as Christians, not heathens. We raise our, 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 our children as part of the body of Christ, not as something else. We keep on pressing the gospel upon them, but not as upon one who has no relationship with the Lord. 
we keep on pressing the gospel upon them as one who belongs to God. We, we, we press the gospel because that's what God tells us God is going to use to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ because they already have that specialship of being the child of a believer. And this idea might sound weird to you, even heretical for some of you. You may think that. And yet you practice it even if unwittingly. Most Christian parents, if they're faithful parents, will practice this idea without having the theological basis to actually do that. Now, how many of you have taught your children not to pray for their food? Not to pray for their owies? Because God won't listen to them because they are heathens. Is that how you, 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 know, uh, you know, little Julius starts talking and he wants to pray for the meal and Jacob says, No, Julius, you don't believe in Jesus. Don't pray. You're a heathen. No. Usually we teach them that this is how you do it. How many of you do not think that your children should obey you in the Lord? How many of you say, no, your, your child is, oh, mom, I really want to obey you. No, you don't have to because you're not in the Lord, so you can't do that. Nobody makes that argument. And yet, that's the command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How many of you tell your children that God is not their father? So little Johnny's praying and says, my father in heaven. He said, no, stop, Johnny. Don't call him your father. But that's, those things are only true if our children are part of the body of Christ. There's, there's a connection between them and God, as the Bible teaches that there, are, there is. And it is because of our children do belong to the Lord that the task of raising them is so important. Because we're raising children that are not ours. They're the Lord's. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, is a a gift from God that the the children of the believer is. Remember, Psalm 127 is written for the covenant community, not necessarily for the world out there, but for the covenant community. So the fact that our children are in a special relationship with the Lord should motivate us to be faithful in raising them and discipling them. And this truth should in no way cause us to neglect keeping the gospel before our children at every opportunity. It should actually, because God promises to be in a special relationship with our children, it should encourage us to be more faithful in proclaiming uh, the gospel to them. Any questions before we continue? All right. Notice that in both... In Ephesians and Colossians, the fathers are addressed. So notice in both passages, it's the father that Paul is addressing. The word fathers can stand for parents at times, but it's more likely that Paul meant father because in the previous verse, in Colossians and in Ephesians, he uses the word for parents, in Ephesians specifically, when he says children obey your parents, he uses the word for parents. But then in verse 4, he changes to father. So the, the, word, the, 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 the masculine word can be used in, in general in the context in which the general word is used, and then the author switches to the specific word. It leads us to conclude that he actually means father, not parents, in this verse. So Paul singles out fathers because we are more likely to provoke our children to wrath. 
So two negative truths before we move to positive truths. First one, Paul tells the, the fathers, do not give reasons for your children to become bitter toward the Lord, toward you, and toward your parenting. He says that both in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3. Uh, and even though our English translation uses the same word in both Ephesians and Colossians, uh, the words do not provoke translate two different original words. Here in Ephesians, the word means make angry. Don't make your children angry by your parenting. Now, they might get angry at you, and, Paul, and, and if, if they're doing it without reason, that's not on you. But if it is your unbiblical or sinful way of parenting that's causing them to be angry, then that, the guilt of that anger is also on your shoulders, not just on the shoulders of your children. In Colossians, a more accurate, trans accurate translation would be do not embitter your children. Do not cause them to be bitter. What do you think is the greatest source of bitterness to a children in our parenting? What are things that can cause our children to be bitter towards, our, toward, towards God, towards us, towards our parenting that we might do? Yes, Tanya. Okay, hypocrisy. All right, uh, Carol. Inconsistency. Andrew. Harsh words. Harsh words. Failure to keep promise. All right. Yeah, uh, Scott. Yes. When the... Uh, how, how does the fourth, is that the fourth amendment, the constitution that says the, uh, the, the, the punishment has to match the crime? Yeah. Anything else on that? Excessive criticism, okay. So you can see that there we have an idea, right, that there were things that embitter our children. Um, in, my, in my studies and in my experience, hypocrisy tends to be the greatest source of bitterness uh, for our children. And then self-righteousness is also a great source of bitterness to, to our children, you know, thinking that we are the ones that you know, we accomplish the things. And we, you know, and you might say, oh, I don't do that. But remember, <laughs> have you ever said, in my day, <laughs> we're about to claim some self-righteousness right there. You know? You know, uh, so we, we can struggle with that too. Conditional love is a great source of bitterness. And what do I mean by conditional love? That our love for them is conditioned on their obedience to us. If they obey us, we love them. If they don't, we don't love them. Um, a New Testament scholar that may not be named, whose last name uh, rhymes with light, <laughs> says, Obedience must never be made the condition of parental love. A love so conditioned would not deserve the name of love. So it can, if your love for your children is conditioned on their performance, then you don't really love them. Guess who you love? Yourself, because you only love them when they are actually serving you. So that's the first negative truth from this passage. Don't parent, fathers, don't provoke to anger. Don't embitter your children. Secondly, do not exasperate your children. Now, having a, a moving, t things that exasperate children, having a moving target, 
for obedience exasperates and frustrates. This day, today, they get in trouble for this thing, and it's like, you know, everything, all hell breaks loose because they did this thing. You know, they're grounded for 15 years, and they, you know, they have to use whatever, a pigeon, you know, carry a pigeon instead of a cell phone, whatever. And then tomorrow they do the exact same thing, and absolutely nothing happens. That's super exasperating to, children, to our children. Being inconsistent exasperates our children. Today something is not allowed, but tomorrow it, it is okay. So these two, negative, this, 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 these two negatives discourage our children from obeying us, and by implication discourage them from obeying the Lord. Do you realize that? That uh, when we do that, yes, they're discouraged from obeying us, but more importantly, they're discouraged from obeying the Lord who called them to obey their parents. Any questions or comments before we continue? All right. Positively, the children, the Christian parent raises his or her children in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Paul calls them to bring them up. So the idea here is of nourishment, of feeding them what they need to grow up in the Lord. That word is only used one more time in the Bible. That is in Ephesians 5, 29, when the husband is called to nourish his wife. There is an element of tenderness, which is in contrast with the provocation of the beginning of the verse. In nourishing, parents are and specifically the father, are to feed their children in order to, for them to grow in the Lord. And that's the ultimate goal of our parents. That's the ultimate goal of our disciple of our children, is that they will grow in the Lord. Uh, it's not successful life. It's not college degree. It's not uh, being polite at the table. The ultimate goal is that they grow in the Lord. And he says, so that we're to bring them up there in Ephesians 6, 4, in the training or by the training of the Lord. And this refers primarily to what is done to the child. It may be described as training by means of rules and regulation. It includes several things. It includes spanking. It includes, includes structure. It includes modeling. So those are things that the children, that are done to them uh, and that are made accessible to them. And this also involves training in righteousness. And the Lord gets to tell us why that is to be the case. Because, remember, it's training in the Lord. So he gets to tell us how that is done. So we're to bring them up in or by the training of the Lord and in or by the admonition of the Lord. And this refers primarily to what is said to the child. You know, what is said and what is done much ma- must match in order not to provoke the children to wrath and for, your, for, for us parents not to be the object of the displeasure of, of God. And again, it's the admonition of the Lord, so he gets to tell us what that looks like because it's of him, belongs to him, it's from him. So how do we do that? How do we bring them up in the admonition of the Lord? Well, we are to keep his word constantly in front of them. Okay, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We did it last week. We're going to do it again today. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 
So we, we, we raise our children with the word of God constantly in front of them, because that's what the Bible says. In verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6, here Mo, God through Moses says, teach your children in formal settings. In verse 7, the second half of verse 7, it says, um, so the, the whole verse says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That is the words that will be given. You shall talk to them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So there's a formal structure when you're going to teach. So you're going to teach the Word of God formally to them. What does that mean? It means family devotions. It means teaching times for the Word of God. Um, and that's something that we need to do. The, the more in the practical side, you know, keep your devotions short. It's not an Anglican service that you're going to have readings from the Old Testament, readings from the New Testament, 30-minute prayers, in a homily of 45, that's not what I'm talking about. But do it. Keep it brief. Don't provoke them to wrath, remember. Especially the younger your kids are. Maintain your children's interest as you do that by speaking at their level and by teaching interactively and creatively. You know, some suggestions is sing a song or a hymn with them. Read a short section of scripture together and invite each family member to make a comment or ask a question starting with the the youngest, and we at our house, we often did that around the dinner table. We we kind of we always try to make dinner time sacred, in the sense that nothing, very few things would get in the way. Sometimes I'll I'll leave here at five thirty, run home, have thirty minutes for dinner, thirty five minutes, but do it, and then run back for uh, a meeting at seven, here, because it would be better to be them with with them for that for 30 minutes than to not do that at all. Um, you can use the first catechism that the kids have studied through the years here at the church to help uh, teaching them. Pray together. Pray, don't only just pray for your children. Pray with them as well. Um, so these are, these are not, I'm saying this are, these are thus as the Lord. These are things that, that could be a good good tools for us to use in our homes. And as we read through Deuteronomy 6, we see that diligence and being deliberate must mark the way we teach our children. You see again in verse 7, if it says, you shall teach them diligently, and then he describes how that diligent, diligence looks like. Right? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It doesn't seem to leave much time in which you're not trying to influence your children with the Word of God. It doesn't mean that you're reading the Bible to them every time, but every interaction that you have with them is governed by the Word of God. So, as we disciple our children, we have to teach them formally. That is, we have to schedule time, do it in an organized fashion. But we also have to teach them informally. If you look at verses 8 and 9... You shall bind them as a sign, talking about the word of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does that mean? What is it that uh, God is saying through Moses? We know how the Pharisees of the first century interpreted it. They interpreted that they should write the Shema, which is 
what, 6-4, in a little piece of paper, put in a box, and literally tie the box between their forehead, between their eyes. And that they should also do that and put a necklace so that's in front of their heart. And that they should dangle it from their wrists. Do you think that's what the, the Lord God wants us to do? What do you think God meant when it says, have the law of God between your eyes? Have in your head, right? In your mind? In that thing that's in there that's meant to do more than separate your ears? Uh, how about in your, have between, you know, close to your heart? Faith, belief. How about in your hands? Do it. And then how about on the doorpost of your house? It, it dominates everything that you do in your house. Right? You cannot enter this house without smelling Christ. That's the idea. You cannot enter, you cannot enter this house without knowing that this house is under the jurisdiction of the Almighty God of the Scriptures. And the people in it are going to live according to that. So, does it make sense? So, and that's what I mean by informally. So, as you go, you're also teaching your children in an informal way because the Word of God is, is um, just dominates your thinking. So, every interaction is governed by that. What are some practical ways to do that at home? Carol. Okay, all right. That's even deeper than I was looking for. So you can go even more basic. Andrew. You can have scripture right. That's the kind of the simple kind of stuff I was talking about, as I was thinking about as well. Just have scriptures displayed in the house. You know? Um, that's more than Ephesians 6, 3, children obey your, your, your parents in the Lord. No, but other scriptures are there as well. Take opportunity of, to apply the Word of God to life as it happens. Usually, you're going to experience, those of you who have younger children, as they get older and as they get to teen years, they want to talk to you in the times that you're not super excited to talk to them. Not because you're mad at them or whatever, but, you know, but it started with teeny. You know, we are being bad. You know, we tend to be early or bad, you know, 10, 10.30, we're in bed. And she would walk in, there's a green chair on the corner of our room. And she would walk in at 11.30 at night when we were like, you know, our light's still on, but we're out. I mean, the physical light's still on, but our light is out by then. And she would plop on the chair. And when she, there was a particular way of sitting. Tini's a plopper, no matter what, she destroys every first. But anyway, that's, that's beyond the, but there's a particularly plopping that indicated that she was ready to talk. So what do we, we do? You know, kind of open our eyes and do whatever because that was time to talk. An opportunity. What, was, what does the natural tendency of the heart is? You know what? We're tired. Just let's schedule it for tomorrow or whatever. Sometimes it doesn't work. So we take opportunity, whatever opportunity comes in life, to, to do that. That was especially, especially true of Isaac, who was not a talker. So when he was talking, we mean cancel every sort of appointment that they have so that uh, you can actually take advantage of that. But as you go, as you, as you do different things, you know, you instruct, you disciple. Uh, Jesus had a peripatetic ministry. He was a peripatetic teacher. 
uh, that's just a complicated way of saying that he taught as he did life with the disciples. Peripatel means I walk. So as they walked, as they lived life, Jesus taught them. Look at the flowers of the field. Right? And then he says, Solomon, so life, Bible right there. So that's how God calls us to do, to, to teach our children formally. And as you do that, interact with your children about God's truth. In verse, look at verse 20 and 21 of Deuteronomy 6. It says that when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So interact with them with God's truth. Answer their questions with God's truth. And this informal teaching includes teaching them by example. The Apostle Paul often said that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a, that's a bold statement to be able to say, hey, what you saw me doing, go ahead and do it too, because that will please God. And we as parents need to be able to say that to our children as well. Having said all that, be careful not to turn every situation into a sermon. You know, you have a little foldable pulpit in your pocket, and the child, the child, the child asks, you know, a small question. Also, let me tell you, in turn to no, that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. And then we see here in Deuteronomy 6, as we're admonishing them in the Lord, as, we, as we're raising them in the Lord, Lord, we teach them about the blessings of redemption. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, there's a lot of do's, but it's focused on verses 20 and 25. And verse, it's focused on verse 4 and then 20 and 25, where the Father teaches them about the redemption they received in the Lord. So that has to be always present there as well as we teach our children. The big point is this. You are responsible before God to train your children. See that in Deuteronomy, in, in Ephesians 6, see that in Deuteronomy 6 as well. You as a parent and you as a father, you are responsible before God to train your children. You cannot ultimately delegate the training of your children to anyone else. The ultimate responsibility is yours. It's not the job of the government to train your children. It's not the job of the Christian school to train your children. And it's not the job of the church to train your children. You might enlist their help, but ultimately it is your responsibility. If you go to traditional school, K through 12, people like blaming schools, right? But if you go to the traditional school, K through 12, that's 10% of the life of your child. If you count summers and time off and holidays and weekends, that's 10% of your, uh, the life of your child. If you, we like to blame the church. We have several people say, oh, the church broke my child. Wow, the 45 minutes in Sunday school did that a week? Out of 168 hours? That's what broke your child? Okay. 
And the Christian school is not ultimately responsible for the training of your child either. As we saw last time, parents are to be the primary influence in their children's lives, and, and husbands and fathers are particularly called to be the spiritual leaders in the home. And you are responsible for all the influences on your kids. What is another word for influence? Can you think of a word association? Can you think of another word for influence? What does an influence do to you? Don't use the verb. Every influence is a teacher. And you're responsible to know what teachers are teaching your children and what they are teaching them. Now, you may choose to use a conventional school, but you are responsible for what your kids are being taught. Remember, who is the blessed man? In Psalm 1? Yes, and, but it's also, how does it start? Just write verse 1. Blessed man is the one who does not walk, and who does not stand, and who does not sit. Are you going to play, place your children in a place where they, are, they have to, six and a half hours a day, walk, stand, and sit in the very way that Psalm 1 says? That's not what the blessed man does. So these are the things that we need to be thinking about. Now, homeschoolers also use outside teachers and influences. So just by having your kids at home doesn't mean that, uh, oh, now I've done it, there's no influences. No, I'm assuming you're not writing your own curriculum. And I'm assuming you're using a curriculum. Maybe those are too big of assumptions. Um, and I'm assuming that you're using outside help. So there's influences there. It's also the job of the parents, especially the father, to keep watch over your children's friends, entertainment. Do you know what the most dangerous thing in the life of your child is? Not in Rebecca Hunter's life. <laughs> this. Because every... My wife sent me a text. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Access to everything is your good stuff and bad stuff. What are you doing about it? I don't want to interfere in, the pri in my child's privacy. Who cares? The Bible doesn't say anything about privacy. That's the American Constitution. That's the Declaration of Independence, not the Bible. If you're paying for your kid's cell phone, guess whose cell phone that is? It's yours. Keep track of it. 1 Corinthians 15 is interesting because it seems to be out of context. It's in the, the midst of this great passage about the resurrection to come. And then Paul says, because this is all true, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I got tired of parents, one of the Christian school principals, telling me, oh, I'm going to send my kids to a secular school in order to, for them to be salt and light, to go, go be missionaries. Usually those are the, the least salty, salty families that would have that idea. And, and uh, so at one point I said, great. I'm aware of a Mormon vacation Bible school coming up. Let's send your kids there. I will never send my kids to a Mormon vacation Bible school. 
Why not? Because they teach error. Hmm. Okay, I hope you connect, make the connection there. So we, we are to have everything we do immersed in the Word of God. What needs to happen? What's the, the basic thing in practice for that to happen? For us to train our children according to the Word of God, what has to happen to us? You have to know the Bible. You have to love it. You have to study it. You have to read it. It's, it's not, you know, just rainbows and unicorns. You need to work at doing that. You cannot pour out what you haven't poured in, in the Word of God. And that's especially for you, man. You are the priest. You are the prophet. You are the king of your family. And the destiny of your children very heavily lays on your shoulders. And I'm, I'm not even going to try to... There are exceptions, and there are other things, but I'm going to leave it there, because we're literally running out of time. But I think it's good sometimes to leave it with the, the weight of the responsibility as well. Any final questions or comments? We'll pick up here next time in three weeks. Hi, Morgan. It's uh, funny that they come out like ducky as if we're not going to see them if they're ducky. But, um, so, Lord willing, next week, Isaiah is going to be teaching on the covenant of grace. And then, the week in fall, Elder Holland is going to be teaching on Sunday school. No, it's you. It's you, Scott. He's, yes, so we'll be, Scott's going to be teaching on something two weeks from today. Yes, so, um, and then we'll pick up from that. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and we pray that you would indeed govern everything that we do, including the discipling of our children. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.